Hello, hello, hello. How's everybody doing today, this evening, this morning? It is so great to be with you again. Can you believe it's already October? It is already October. It seems like 2021 is just flying by. And when you think about it, how 2020 just took forever, forever to get to the end. And 2021 seems like it's just rushing by. They say the older you get, time flies by, but, you know, who knows? Once again, welcome to Political Talk. I'm so great to have you here with me uh, to talk politics. That's why we're here. You know, I love politics. I love talking about it. Some people say I talk about it too, too much, but I just love it. It is the theory of ideas, and the best ideas win, and that's why I love politics. You know, if you look at the media, they try to take things and spin it their own way. They all have their own narrative. Here at Political Talk, we have a narrative of just saying what you're thinking, but saying it in a way where the networks aren't saying, but what we're thinking. Ladies and gentlemen, the biggest thing that is happening right now is the budget. The biggest thing happening right now is that Democrats cannot get out of their way. You know, I was talking to a buddy, and we were talking, and I said, you know what's funny? When Republicans are in power, and they want to pass a bill, they do it. They all get in line, and they pass that bill. Not one person pipes up. Not one person has reservations. Well, you might say, well, Mark, what about John McCain? Yeah, John McCain's had reservations about the uh, health care bill. But pretty much, they're pretty much lock, step, and barrel with everything else. Democrats, they're so fractured. You know, you have this bill that was passed, I think, 69 votes in the Senate. 69 votes. You know how hard that is to do? To get 69 people in the Senate to come together and pass anything. But it gets to the House, and it can't. And what I'm talking about is the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. And it all stems from the progressives saying, we're not voting on this because we want the reconciliation package. You know, and don't get me wrong. It is a once-in-a-generation, they're saying, or they're telling us, a once-in-a-generation, you know, to get this done. And you start thinking about it, well, maybe they're right. But <sighs> Joe Manchin and Krista Cinema are dragging their feet. And so I sat there and I started thinking, wait a minute. Well, Joe Manchin pretty much doesn't have anything to worry about. He pretty much will probably get reelected. But Kristen Sinema, if you look at her race, she 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 barely won her race. And so if our person for for a senator, for somebody who's constantly all they want, you ask anybody in Washington, all they want is to get reelected, to be wishy-washy about something that our people are passionate about. And you know that video that went viral of people walking in the bathroom after her and saying, you know, you need to vote for this. But I was watching the video and one person said, we knocked on doors for you. 
We advocated for you. These are things that you told us you were going to do. And I said, that line clearly makes my message when I heard Kristen Cinema was dragging her feet and making this, this promise of her wanting to be like John McCain. You know, she she's going down a path where I think she doesn't realize, okay, you're trying to play this maverick role. You're trying to, you know, I, I buck the party. But you won your primary heaven handily. And you're hoping if you get to the general election that the Republicans will break up, some Republicans will break off and support you. But the one thing you have to realize is that you need those Democrats that came out and supported you to do that. And so, uh, Senator, if you turn your back on the people that you promised things for, don't be surprised that in 2024 on election night, you come up short or you don't even make it to the general because you have alienated the same people that you were sent there to support. I think sometimes politicians don't realize that. I think they, they think they know better, but you have to realize some people are in safe seats and in the Senate, there are some senators who are safe, but there are some senators who have to fight for their seat. And Senator Cinema, you are not in a safe seat. You have to fight for it. Yes, Joe Biden won Arizona. Arizona could be turning, you know, purple, blue. But guess what? Mark Kelly, if you look at the polls, is doing well. You're down quite a bit in your home state. Yet you dumb your nose like you know better. It can't be that way. You work for the people of Arizona. Don't get me wrong. I think they should pass the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. But I also think they should pass the 3.5. But you look at the 3.5, and I thought about it. Like Joe Manchin, I would cap it at $1 trillion. I think one point, he said $1.5. My, my price would be $1 trillion. I think you go through it line by line and you say, these are the programs that are most important. These programs are important to a point. And these are the programs that we're going to extend. The programs that you're going to extend, you make them extend for three years. The programs that eh, we'll, we'll put some money in it, you make them extend for uh, maybe a year and a half. and. The other programs you make them, you know, have a a last a year. You know, I can feel where the progressives are coming from that they're digging in. I know that they're saying, you know, this is our time. This is our time. And and I thought about it because Joe Biden went to he went to the Capitol and. You know, let's, I, I like to always think if I was working with Joe Biden, if I was an advisor and I would be riding up to the Capitol with him, I'd be like, Mr. President, with all due respect, I'd like to take the lead of this meeting. You know, I, I'd like if we could get all the Congress, uh, the Democratic, you know, uh, people in Congress and all the 50 Democratic senators in the room. And if he said, OK, we got it and you know, we go up to the Capitol, we're all sitting in this room, no camera, closed meeting. 
I would get up and I would introduce myself. I'd say, how is everybody doing today? As you know, I'm the uh, Joe Biden's advisor. My name is Mark Henderson. You know, right now, what the American people are seeing, they're seeing us fight amongst ourselves. They're seeing turmoil. They're seeing a family at battle because a family is having a disagreement. And as we have this disagreement, we're trying to figure out the best course to chart. When the Republicans wanted to pass their tax cut, they got in line. They got in line. But when it comes time for us to pass a reconciliation package that helps the American people, we cannot muster the strength, the energy to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, if we do not pass this bill, we will get killed in the midterms. We could lose 50, 96 seats. Why would people come out and support us if we cannot do the things that we campaigned on? If we cannot fulfill the promises that made them send us here. We serve the American people. Ladies and gentlemen of the Congress and the Senate, this package puts in clear contrast the two parties. We are the party of the working man and woman, the union. We care about the environment. People say, why is the package too high? It's an investment because for so long, we have been putting it off. No more. Kristen Cinema, Joe Manchin, this is our time. We cannot let this time slip by. This is our time. To my progressives, I hear you, I understand you, but you have to give some. 3.5 is nice, but let's come off. Joe Manchin had a good point. 1.5, should we meet him at two? This is our time. Moderates, I know you're scared about losing re-election. I've got bad news for you. Some of you will not be here next year. Some of you know you're headed for a tough race. But don't you want to go down fighting? Don't you want to go down knowing you can look your constituents in the eye and say, I did everything I did for you. I went to battle. I passed the bill that was going to help you in your everyday life. Pre-K, college, child tax care credit. This is our time. And if we sit back and let this time slip between our fingers, 
why would anybody come out and support us? How do you go campaign? Oh, I sat on my hands and knees. I wasn't willing to come to the table. Senators, I understand your issues. I've seen your spreadsheets. But you have to come to the table. Put your cards. Otherwise, why do you expect to get reelected? Do not piss off the people that sent you here. This is our time. This is the president's agenda. And I stand with it. No more. No more fighting. Today, right now. Let's put a figure on the table. Let's schedule a vote. Senators, I need you, all 50 of you, to agree today. We can have this wrapped up by fucking Friday. This is our time. Not next year, not next week, not next month, but now. You think you're going to get some Republican votes? Republicans are happy with you? Yes, they're happy because you're making a mess and a mockery of this process. I'm going to call out somebody right now and you're going to you're going to get pissed. Kristen Cinema, Senator, Senator Cinema. Your people of your state sent you here to do the will of the people of Arizona. You are thinking you're getting kudos from the Republicans of your state, and you're thinking, by God, I might have a chance and get some of that support. I've got bad news for you. You will not. You won't. You'll lose your seat. You either play ball or be, pre be prepared in January 1st, 2025, to be out of a job. This is our time. Please stand with me, not against me. And you might say, well, Mark, what's in the bill? What's in the bill? So we look at it. The 1.2. So I found this site. Let's see. 110 billion for roads and bridges. Our roads are falling apart. And that is a good thing that an infrastructure bill that Obama couldn't get done, Trump couldn't get done, that it, it it's sitting on the Senate floor. I mean the House floor. $66 million for railroad. You could tell, you know, Amtrak, let's upgrade. Let's fix our aging system. $65 billion for the power grid. If Texas has taught us anything, we need to take care of our grids. $65 billion for broadband. As a person who lives out here in Wisconsin, I can clearly tell you broad, broadband in some areas is very important. I'm sure you, in, in areas that you live, you know, you wish you had broad, broad, uh, broadband internet. $55 million for water infrastructure. You know, the biggest thing is you think of Flint, Michigan, and the pipes. You know, we need to fix 
They said this funding also includes $15 million for lead pipe replacement, $10 billion for chemical cleanup, and money to provide clean drinking water in tribal communities. These are things that we desperately need in this country. And as bad as you know, the progressives are saying we're not going to do it, you know, it's hard to be pressed why you wouldn't vote for this bill. $47 billion for cybersecurity and climate change, as you know, with the hacking going on in some sections, that is a very key component that is desperately needed. $39 billion for public transit. You know, a lot of people that live in northern states, you know, we they need that, you know, if you rode a bus and stuff like that. $25 billion for airport. This allocate provides funding for major upgrades and expansions at U.S. airports. Air traffic control tower systems will receive $5 billion for the total upgrade. Desperately needed. You know, we haven't had really had a major crash in this country in a long time. Air travel is probably one of the safest it's ever been in my lifetime. And so... We need to keep going forward with that, not backwards. $21 billion for the environment. You know, This is one factor I think we need, but if I had to make cuts, this is one factor I would, I would cut out, the $21 billion. $17 billion for ports. You know, As you know, we have about a couple ships sitting off the dock. I think this is highly important. I would definitely invest in that. $11 billion for safety appropriations here to address highway, pedestrian, pipelines, and other safety areas where highway safety get in the bulk. I would probably cut that down some. $8 billion for Western water infrastructure. This is very important. I would probably take some, take some, uh, take the $11 billion, cut that in half for uh, safety, and add that to the Western water because out west, they are suffering a lot of trout issues. $75 billion for electric vehicle charging stations. Um, I would probably cut that down and I would put uh, $2 billion, $7.5 billion for electric school buses. I would probably cut down and put $1 billion. So, I mean, let's say I was looking at figures to cut. Uh, I would pretty much keep everything the same. Um, maybe add some more money for uh, improvement to the, to the airport. Uh, Set up $39 billion for public transit. I'd probably cut that down to $30. Um, another factor, okay. Let's look at, um, I know people like, you know, let's look at the $3.5 trillion. So in the reconciliation package with the same site I found, um, hopefully these figures right now, the way it sits, the website I went to, it says $135 billion for Committee on Agriculture so basically, I guess this is going to the 135 billion is going to the agriculture community to address forest fires, reduce carbon emissions, and address drought concerns. I might cut that down a little bit. Uh, uh, 332 billion to the banking community, uh, investments in public housing, tr housing trust funds, housing affordability. So I, I think this is a very key component that you keep. So the 1.2, I'd probably leave that alone. So I probably wouldn't make those cuts. I said, but the 3.5, uh, very important, uh, for banking because housing is expensive. And I think that's the biggest headache coming down the pipeline. Now is going to be the housing one, uh, 198 billion for energy and national resource committee, clean energy. Uh, I would look at that and maybe make some major cuts to that. 167 billion for uh, the EPA committee. Um, this money would fund low-income solar and climate change technologies. Uh, you don't probably need that much. Maybe uh, 
I'd probably throw 30. 1.8 trillion for the finance committee. This part of the bill for investments in working families, the elderly environment, includes a tax cut for Americans making less than 400,000 a year, lowering the price of prescription drugs. I would probably look at that, and instead of 1.8, I would go 900. Uh, I probably would keep that part of the bill. Uh, 726 billion for for the health, uh, pension uh, for pre-K, for healthcare. Health care for uh, child care for working families, tuition. I would probably take out the uh, tuition-free community college. Um, funding for historical black colleges, I would keep that in there, and I would expand the Pell Grant. So I would make some drastic cuts on that one. $37 billion for, uh, let's say, HSGAC committee. This would electrify the federal. Uh, nope, I'd probably cut take that out. $107 billion for the judiciary. This funding addresses establishing lawful, lawful permanent status for um, that is a very key component. So I would leave that in because the for the Judiciary Committee, that is something that Democrats have been pushing. And I think if the Democrats don't live up to their uh, sense of immig immigration, you have to do something. But I also feel like if you're going to add 107 billion for that, you need to have some mechanisms. I think the biggest issue that the Republicans aren't taking advantage of is they don't have a bill to wave in the face of Joe Biden and force his hand. You know, redo the asylum laws in this country. I think our asylum laws need to be changed. I think it's so easy to claim asylum when, you know, it could be disputed on a lot of areas. $25 billion for the Indian Affairs Committee. Uh, Native Americans, I feel like, you know, been neglected for so long. So I'd probably leave that the same. $25 billion for the small business community. Uh, yep. I would keep that. $18 billion for uh, VA upgrades. To, yep. And $83 billion for the commerce community. This goes to investments in technology, transportation, research. I Instead of 83 I'd probably lower it down to 70 So, you know, very key components. I would make some cuts probably on the 1.2, but, you know, but... These are things that we need, and I feel like I'm not gonna lie. I, I I have very blue roots, but I also know that I'm like Joe Biden. I mean, uh, Joe Manchin. You know, 3.5 is nice, but I think we have to look really look at what we can afford. But the one issue I would tell people is, you know, you hear it's over 10 years, so. We have to look at the funding and realize that we can't get sides swiped by that. That the 3.5 is over three four three point five trillion is over ten years. So that's also a major factor that we have to look at. So, like I said, and when I have me and my friend had this conversation, I say to myself, you know, this is the time. And if I was somebody making that speech, I would tell them, this is the time. So you you face those a lot of those people who are those uh, moderates who are trying to push back because they don't want to uh, vote for 3.5. Guess what? A lot of you are going to lose your seats, and they have to realize that. So trying to placate and think that you're doing something good, guess what? If you don't get a package, you're going to lose your seat. And even if you do get a package and it's both passed, you'll get a seat. Um, I think the biggest issue, the biggest mistake the president made was linking the bills. I think when he went to the Capitol, he should have told the progressives um, it's going to be one point. It's going to be one point five trillion. And, you know, we will 
basically say we will have a vote in two weeks. You have my word as a Biden and just say pass the bill and you sit down with Joe Manson's office and Kristen Cinema, and you have them write the bill um, and say, this is our priorities. And you tell them, you tell the progressives, this is, this is what you want. Is it perfect? No, but it's something that you can take back to your constituents and show that you are fighting for. So, I mean, you gotta get something. And I think if the Democrats don't do anything, I think they have a hard time of getting people worked up to come out and vote them and support them. And as you saw in the bathroom with that one line, we knocked on doors for you. I think Kristen Cinema has to realize that people who came out and supported her might not be inclined to support her next time, might be inclined to support somebody else. And if you want a tight race by three percentage points, you might not win that same race again, and it'll all link. It will all come back to what is happening now. Kaylee Kelly Iot of New Hampshire, same thing. Gun rights. She lost her reelection because of that. It all stemmed from that. So I think senators, as much as they want to play this role, you do work for the people of your state, and the people of your state, if they're not happy, they will kick you out. You know, as a person, I say I, I personally believe it shouldn't be, you know, 3.5 is nice. But I think if it's all said and done, you have to look at the priorities. You have to look at what you can afford and you have to do it right. Um, that's the way it is. Um, the biggest thing, the vaccine mandate. There are people who are losing their job because they haven't gotten the vaccine. You know, I was listening to the radio the other uh, today and. You know, COVID cases are going down, and the person on the radio was like, well, you know, it's kind of hard to tell. She's like, you know, every two months you have this rise in cases, and then two months the cases drop off. I think uh, COVID is just one of those things like the science, and I feel like people who are pushing this mandate don't realize that. They want to say, oh, the science was ever-changing. That's why Dr. Fauci... Uh, said one thing and then he said the other because of science. Well, look at, you know, Oscar De La Hoya, vaccinated, outbreak. Um, Brett Kavanaugh, vaccinated, outbreak. You're telling me if I get the vaccine, I can still have a outbreak. So how is that reassuring to people? You're telling people to get something and they can still get the virus. You know, it goes back into uh, a mindset of, you know, I was thinking, I said, well, when I got the polio, when I was little, and I, I, I have been vaccinated, you know, but I don't ever remember having an outbreak of polio. I haven't had the measles or the mumps. But you're wanting me to get something where I can still get the virus. You know, New York Supreme Court came back or the Supreme Court came back and said the teacher's would have to abide by the mandate of New York. And it's to me, it's so unfair. Like I've said in the past, if you want to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. By all means, I'm not opposed to that. But I'm opposed when something's pushed up on you and you're not sure of it. 
Tell me why nurses, some doctors, people in the health field don't want the vaccine. Shouldn't that be a red flag? These are the people that put up with the virus from day one, and they don't want the vaccine? Shouldn't that be something? But we live in a world where these elites, these, these, these people who are so detached from you and me, have this, this concept that if everybody is vaccinated, I'll be safe. I can go back to my normal life. What about the people who were actually out living their life during COVID and just pushing through it? No, you don't care about us. You want us to be on your time, to play by your rules. We can't play by our rules. But if I get the shot, I'm still going to get the virus. Like I said, I think if you want the shot, get the shot. If you don't want the shot, you require wear a mask. Vaccine, you know, it's it's going to get to a point where you're going to see an uprising of the unvaccinated people saying no more. If you're vaccinated, you should be safe. You should have nothing to worry about me. But don't give me that fucking bullshit that, oh, you know, the unvaccinated, you know, they need to be vaccinated. They can't do this. They can't do that. Guess what? If the unvaccinated just stopped doing and going places, the economy would crash. Look at Israel. Look at the numbers. People were vaccinated in that country, and they still caught the virus. They still had an outbreak virus. So don't tell me the vaccine is 100%. Why force me to get something where I can still get sick? But instead, you're going to take someone's job. Why? Why? Because you feel... Like it's something you must do. You feel like they aren't doing right because you want them to do what you want them to do. Can you imagine these people have been in this since day one and now they're out of a job because they said, I think I know better for my body than the government? No, you don't care. You only care about yourself, but you don't look around you. Look, people who are getting vaccinated still are having outbreaks. But that's okay with you because guess what you're saying? Well, they got vaccinated. They got vaccinated. The virus isn't 100%. I mean, the vaccine isn't 100%. And I don't, that to me, it just doesn't feel right. Why am I going to put something in my body that's not 100%? That's really not going to help me. It's just going to make you feel safe, not me. I think we have to come to a realization COVID is here to stay. And I think once we get to that realization that COVID is not going anywhere, we're going to be better off. Better off. The biggest thing that happened this week is we had the Afghanistan hearings. Afghanistan. I've read where the Republicans want to make Afghanistan Biden's Benghazi. 
And I can see where the right wants to play this role of making Afghanistan this this mountain of a molehill. Did he fuck up? Yes, he fucked up. Was it bad? Yes, he was bad. But the one thing I hear and I see is a lot of people want to bypass Trump and go to Obama. So when the generals sat down and they talked, and I had a buddy send me a text, it made Biden, it made Trump, and it made the last 20 years of the war seem bad. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to to hear this. Donald Rumsfeld, when he was Secretary of Defense, knew the war was going bad. He knew the war was going bad. Yet, he didn't say anything. The people who knew the war was bad lied to the American people and said that this war was winning and we're doing good and the, you know, the Afghan troops are doing good. No one told us the truth. I've, I've read, I've heard uh, people say that it was more quantity over quality when it came to the Afghan troops. And when you look at what was happening, some of these people weren't getting paid. Some of these people weren't getting fed. That comes into a bigger question of what were we doing as a country when we had people we were training realizing that there was corruption and they weren't getting paid, that the people weren't being fed well? Did we just sit on our hands and just tell the Congress and the American people Afghanistan was doing good? And so the Republican Party also, if they want to make this about Benghazi, have to ask the question is, why did the American people just lose interest in Afghanistan? They lost interest and only regained interest when we pulled out the way we did. The generals also said that Biden's, I mean, Trump's agreement was horrible. And when you look at the agreement, what did it do? It cut out the Afghan people. How do you reassure a young soldier if you've cut his government out of a negotiation with the enemy? You basically demoralize them. You cut them off at the balls, (laughs) at the knees, and you you basically told them, hey, we're leaving. And so it's like if I was fighting for you and you told me you were leaving at a certain time, why am I going to continue putting my life on the line? I think we do need to have hearings, you know, but we need to have honest hearings with people who really want to get down to what did we do the last 20 years? Why did the army fall apart like they did? Why were we lied to to make believe that the war was going good and we took our eyes off it? As American people, we also have to look at that. Why did we take our eyes off the ball? You know, the general said, well, we told Biden to keep some troops there. Ladies and gentlemen, like I've said before, the president wanted to get out. I think he was dead set on getting the fuck out of Afghanistan. And that's what he won. And I think where I will say he messed up is he was so dead set on getting out and so focused on that that he didn't bother to... You know, maybe take a step back and see what people are trying to tell him. You know, 
I think leaders sometimes, if they don't do that, can make bad choices. But you also have to look. Of course the generals were going to tell him he should have stayed in Afghanistan because at the end of the day, that's probably what they wanted. I think another story that got pushed back is when the uh, uh, Secretary of Defense said, you know, we there was no strategic uh, reason to keep the base. And he gave his fair assessment. I think you have to look at that. And, you know, you heard so many people saying, well, you know, we should who gives up the base? And, and I think overall, if you really had to, to, to put it down on paper, if you really had to lay your cards on the table, you have to understand that to turn things around, to truly turn things around, you're going to have to send more people in. And I think another factor that people have to realize, even if we would have kept the base, who's to say people would not have that? Let's say if we did Afghanistan the way the Republicans think we should have, what would they have done if, you know, one soldier dies, two, three? So I think if you look at the hearings, they were bad for Biden, they were bad for Trump. But I think most of all, they were just bad for the whole entire mission. You know, if you really, to me, it's like, if let's say Biden had not won, and you got this agreement from Trump, and, the, and right now the Taliban is just waiting for us to leave, and the generals are saying you should leave, you know, you'd have to ask them hardly, this is, I would hope, well, how many troops do you need to truly finish this war off? Give me a number. And I think that would be something a lot of generals would not want to give you because they would feel like they probably would give you a number. But a politician would look at that number and be like, is the American people truly ready for this? And, you know, I think, and on my head I'm thinking 100,000 troops, I think a lot of people who want to blame Biden and make this his Benghazi have to ask themselves this question. Are you ready to commit the troops needed to win this? Are you ready to commit more lives, more boys and girls for this war? And if you answer no, that you're not, then it's basically what people always say is politics. And at the end of the day, you have to stop being political and you have to start truly thinking of the situation at head hand. And I think Biden, as much as I say that, you know, he was so dead set on getting out. I think he made the best choice he knew how because he did not want to see any more people die in a war that could not be won. And I think as a country, we have to realize that. And I think the Republican Party will be misguided if they try to make Afghanistan into a mountain when it's only a molehill. I think you need to have honest hearings. I think they need to be fair. And I think at the end, there needs to be a report issued. 
this is what happened in Afghanistan, and this, here's where we went wrong. Here's where we could have gone right. And you take that into account. I mean, that's the only thing you truly can do. So, abuse of power. I think the hardest thing for a politician to do is not abuse their power. You know, you, you're elected to lead your people. You're the governor of a state, you're the president of the United States, and you have all this immense power, you have all these people working for you, you have all these people answering to you, and sometimes it's, not, it's hard not to do what you should. Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota. Governor of South Dakota. She got caught in a scandal. And I read the story and I was like, whoa, that's a clear breach. So Christy Nome has a daughter. Her daughter wanted to be um, an appraiser. Her daughter, you know, does their requirements and stuff, applies for her license, and does not get the license. So instead of you know, accepting it and maybe reapplying, however the process is, she goes to her mom. Instead of her mom doing like most parents would say, well, there's always next time, just reapply, Chrissy Gnomes calls, oh, I gotta read this story. She calls the, the person who heads the agency to her office and her daughter's there and basically after the meeting, so her daughter, okay, her daughter wanted to be a certified real estate appraiser. When the relevant South Dakota agency moved to deny that patient, Noom summoned her to the office and the state employee who ran the agency. The woman directed supervisor and the state labor, labor secretary. They all attended, and then, and then the daughter was there, which is very inappropriate. And after the meeting, guess what? Her daughter got the, got the license, and Noom tried to play it down. But it was a clear breach of power. To me, that has to be disqualifying for anything. Here's a woman that's very attractive, I will say it, very bright. But to make this lapse in judgment is a clear sign of somebody who's not fit to serve. You know, I'm not a, f f a fan of Chrissy Nome, and I think, you know, she is running for president, but you have to ask yourself, this is something that she will have to answer for. You know, why did you feel the need to get your hands dirty in this? Don't get me wrong, I have three kids and I would do anything for them, but you also have to know what's appropriate. You know, you also have to know to take a stand that, hey, wait a minute, I'm the governor of the state. You know, I might be a parent, but this is a this is cross a line. You take your kid aside and you say, hey, you reapply. You say, did they give you a reason why you did not get it? And then you read that reason and you explain to your daughter. But I have a feeling that maybe her daughter pushed. And I think Chrissy Nome gave in and made this lapse in judgment. And as we're seeing or as I'm reading, 
it's not going anywhere. I, I think she, I think sometimes a politician thinks I'm too powerful or I'm too popular. This will just die down. But you also have to realize there are people who want your job. There are people you climbed over, maybe stepped on to get to where you're at. And so those same people you stepped on and climbed over are waiting to do the same to you and climb. Basically, they're waiting for you to fail. And so that's what we're seeing. And I think it's an issue that's not going away, especially. And she's up for reelection next year. And I feel like that's something she's going to have to answer the, the voters, because if you really wanted to run an effective campaign against her, you play into that, that what else has she done that we haven't found out about? You just let that slip. You know, here, you know, the governor, you know, made this lapse in judgment. What else has she made a lapse in judgment of? Like I said, we all have kids. We all would do anything for our children. But how far would you go? Would you go as far as to abuse your power as governor? to make sure your daughter got a license that maybe she can retake the test and try again next year? Is it really that important to be a real estate appraiser right then and there? I mean, your mom's the governor of the state. You take a year off, you restudy, and you come back. Persistence. But, and I'm going to go, I, I, I know people, I'm going to go there. I think some people just feel like they're entitled. I'm entitled to it. My mom is the fucking governor of the state. I'm entitled to the license. So you tell your mom, and guess what? Your mom pulls some strings and you get the job. And that's what people don't like. Because think about it. The people that worked their ass off, studied their ass off, did everything, acts of them, got their license. But those same other people didn't. And guess what the difference was? Their mom is not governor of the state. So those same people who did everything acts, studied their ass off, who did get not get their license, have to come back next year and do it all over again. So I think the people of South Dakota have to truly look at the governor and say, is this the person we want representing us? Who can have a lapse in judgment to abuse her office to benefit her family? And I, and I thought about the story. I said, it makes you wonder when politicians don't get called. What are they doing that we're not finding out about? What other lapse of judgments have she done in office and other people just have not spoken out about it? you got to think when the person gets summoned to the office who makes these decisions and faces the governor, you're standing in the office. And if you've ever been around somebody who just has this power, I remember one time I met the, the chief of staff the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Pace, and I shook his hand, and you just felt the power of his office when he looked you dead in the eye, shook your hand. Imagine getting summoned to the office. You're standing in the governor's office. The weight of the governorship is there, and she comes down on you because her daughter didn't get a license. What are you going to do? Of course you're going to give in because guess what? She's the governor. And her and you feeling her pushing for you to do this. She's probably saying, why did you not give my daughter the license? What happened? Of course you're going to give in because you feel threatened. 
And that's what she did. The governor threatened this employee. She used the weight of her office to get what she wanted. And to me, that is wrong. That's a lapse of judgment. And for anybody that does not think it is, what would you do if it was a Democratic governor? Would you say it's okay? This is why people do not like politics or politicians, because they abuse their power and they feel like they're entitled. No one's entitled to shit. We have to hold these people accountable. Like I said, Chrissy Noem's a very attractive woman. But I feel like in this situation, in this, this, this instance, she was wrong. And the person who has the office has quit. She's got all this buzz now starting up for this. And here she is having to run, re run for re-election. Run for her. Her mindset was probably: I run for re-election, I get re-elected, and then I can run for president. And I think that's another concept that people don't realize. And I think if I was voting, you, you have to look at if I'm voting for you, and you're not going to serve out your four years, why even run for the office? Just say I'm not going to run for governor, and I'm going to run for president. No one's going to think less of you. But as a society, we feel like we need to hold. We need to win a race to certify us to run for presidents. I look at DeSantis. You know, he's a guy who's clearly running for 2024, but I think where he's messing up is he's not focusing on the reelection. He's going to be like he's going to be like the new the Vikings when they got beat by the Eagles. They were so anxious to play at home. That didn't bother focusing on the game at hand. So before I leave this segment, I just want to say abuse of power is wrong. The governor should have known better. As a parent, I understand. But also as a parent, I also know that I have to do what's right. And I can't let I can't let my personal life, my feelings get in the way of doing what's right. All right, Greg Abbott. I want to touch on him just a little bit. Greg Abbott, governor of uh, Texas, the great state of Texas. Um, last week, I saw, I caught an interview he gave with Chris Wallace. The biggest issue, just like Christy Noem, not abusing power, but like Christy Noem, he's up for re-election next year. The biggest issue, I think, facing the governor that he doesn't realize is the election, the Texas heartbeat bill. He was on uh, with Chris Wallace, and Chris Wallace was bringing out the one pick of the bill where, you know, there's no there's no carve out for rape and incest, and he was asking him that, and and Abbott should have been like, well, we'll we will review the bill. Said, you know, we will protect all lives. You know, no matter what. And then they, okay, I respect that. But I thought to myself, if I'm running against this guy, he's just clearly cut my first, my first attack ad. I would have a young kid who. So this is how this is how I would have the ad. I would have it would be like one of those ads where you turn on TV, it's like dark. And you have that, you know, when you're the the light kind of like comes out from uh, the window, 
and you had that dark, but you had the, the light from the moon. And I would have it pacing the bathroom door. And I would have it where, where you cut, you have like, you see these little feet and a girl crying. And then it would have up where you have this somewhat pregnancy test. And it would say, Greg Abbott, you know, it, it would do something where the girl finds out she was pregnant, but it was do, done from like her dad molested her and, you know, just hit home the fact that here's a guy that is so blindsided by ideology that he doesn't care if you got raped. He doesn't care if you were got, you know, molested at the home. You're getting that baby no matter what. You know, we live in a world, and I know people get tired of me talking about this, but, I, you know, the heartbeat bill, no matter what you think, when it comes to abortion, it's a biblical issue. It's, it's what you believe. It's what you believe. And I feel as a society, we, we're so dead set on pushing our beliefs on people. And I think Greg Abbott... When he got this easy question, he didn't know how to answer. And I think that's going to be something Republicans are going to have a hard time answering for because the Supreme Court started their session today. And one of the major factors is the Mississippi uh, abortion bills come to, they're going to argue over, where they're going to cap abortions at 15 weeks. You know, it's kind of funny. It's, it's, you have men trying to tell women what to do. You know, a party that stands for small government wants to be big government in certain areas. I look at that, it has to be troubling. I think whatever a woman decides to do with her body is up to her. You know, all life starts at conception. Okay, well, why don't we give that unborn child a social security number. Why don't we start providing that unborn child with rights? The argument we always get is, well, when a mother, a pregnant woman is killed, the person is charged for two. Yes, you're right. We do charge the person for two murders. But you also have to realize that that woman who was pregnant and got killed was going to keep that baby. So in fact, that person has taken a life that was due to be on this earth. I think as a, as a society, the moment we feel the need for you to believe and think like us, we've crossed the line. And you have to ask yourself this one question. Why do we continue to treat women like second-class citizens? Why do we say, well, women don't know Women don't, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think, women don't have the right to think for themselves. That's basically what we're saying. Their body, their choice. Your body, your choice. We have to respect it. And I think this will be something that will puzzle Greg Abbott and the Republicans because they'll have to answer for that. A lot of women don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. But here comes the Republican Party saying, we know better. But you don't. As far as I know, and I'm looking at the polling, you know, I know Beto is thinking about running. And a lot of people are giving Beto crap. I think when Beto ran for the Senate, he had 
coattails. And he got close enough to win, but didn't win. But the closer he got, he brought a lot of Democrats over the finish line. I think if I'm Greg Abbott, I'm worried about a Beto presidency, a Beto governorship, because here's a guy that could win the state, plays the abortion soundbite, makes Greg Abbott look like he's out of touch uh, with traditional voters, and you can win the state. I'm sure Greg Abbott's a smart man, but I feel like just like Joe Biden when it comes to uh, Afghanistan, he's so dug and head set on doing this thing. And I think that's something we need to ask ourselves. Why? When it comes to abortion, it's a biblical right. It's what you believe. And we should respect it. But like I said, we shouldn't push our beliefs on other people. I'm not going to push my beliefs on you. And don't push your beliefs on me. Ladies and gentlemen, before we leave, a year ago I started this podcast. A year ago I made a decision to tell you what was on my mind when it came to politics. I told you I loved politics. I told you I loved talking about tall politics. I told you I could talk about politics 24-7. I feel like as a country... We have to get back to a point where we can get to the middle, you know, and as as bad as it sounds, we need to get to a point where we, we, we go back to respecting the office of the presidency. You know, I might not have been a fan of George Bush because a lot of his policies I didn't agree with, but I respected the man. I could tell you an achievement I thought I thought highly of George Bush that he did. But when you ask people who hated Obama, what did Obama do that you like? Bet you couldn't get an answer. Did you know that Obama put a, put health put Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare on the table, and Republicans walked away from it? Republicans talk about cuts, but yet they don't provide any. You know, these are things we have to look at. A year ago, I made the decision to do this podcast for you, to talk about things in a way that we're thinking the media is just not saying. Afghanistan is not going to be Benghazi. Why didn't we get those people out? Why did those people wait to the last minute to leave? I mean, if you want to be honest, we have to ask those questions. Yes, we should get them out, but we have to ask them, why did you wait till last minute? Abortion is wrong. We should ban it. Yes, it is wrong. It is wrong. But that's my right to say that. I shouldn't push my right on someone else. Abortion should be up to 22 weeks. And for people who say abortion is wrong, you should always come back or with, well, have you, have you adopted a kid? Have you taken a kid in? There are 424,000 kids in the false care system. If you really were uh, really about, you know, being pro-life, there'd be zero kids in the false secure system. A year ago, I made a decision to start a podcast. And a year ago, you tuned in and you listened. And for that, I'm grateful. For that, I'm thankful. 
And I hope you join me for more to come. It's been a fun ride, and we're just getting started. Ladies and gentlemen, let's continue to be purple. Meet me in the middle. Let's go back to respecting the office of the presidency, no matter who the president is. What do you believe? Have a good night.